0: Today I'm chatting with Steve Gibbons. Steve is an investor and advisor on the task board, and he's also the co-founder of Ergon Associates, one of our business partners. Ergon's a company that helps organisations implement commitments on human rights, labour standards and gender equality. I won't do much more of an intro than that because Steve does a grand job at the beginning of the podcast. And we go on to talk about the current pandemic, how it's disrupted business in twenty twenty and what's still to come this year and beyond. Here's my conversation with Steve Gibbons. Steve Gibbons, welcome to the Task Podcast. How are you doing? Very well, Matt. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. So uh yeah, afternoon here in the in Thailand and and mid-morning in the UK for yourself. It's a sunny morning for a change, which is welcome. That's nice. It's a bit cloudy here, but um yeah so Look, I, I will have done a quick intro at the beginning, but always good to, to get a bit more of an extended one from yourself for our listeners, just, just some background on, on yourself and, and the journey into to Ergon and what Ergon does before we jump into some of the questions.
1: Okay, so my background originally as is as an employment lawyer in the UK, and sort of I worked in that sort of sphere for probably a decade and a half. But during sort of the latter part of, of that time, I did a lot more work internationally. And some of that was based around sort of Pro bono human rights work, but also was starting to work with um, the Department for International Development when that was first founded, and also a range of companies and sort of what we call multi stakeholder initiatives. So, companies and civil society and governments ar- around labor rights issues and supply chains. And then, basically, when the company I was on the management team of was sold. Uh, that was a good opportunity to go and do something else. So I co-founded Ergon, and that was 15 years ago. And what we do at Ergon is we work on on labor rights on human rights on gender on development with a whole range of different people and that can range from from big multinational companies through to ngos at and people like oxfam and also through to big organizations and investors like the world bank or some investment banks as well or fifa
0: yeah and so i mean you're 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 obviously based in the uk but exposed um globally and certainly in Asia with a lot of the work you do, right?
1: Yep, yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, there's quite a lot in Asia, but also we're increasingly doing a lot of work in Africa for a range of sort of public and private investors.
0: Well, I mean, I was keen to really get your perspective on yeah, you know, it's the elephant in the room. I mean, you can't, it's very hard to have a discussion with anyone right now without talking, obviously, about 2020 and, and the pandemic and the disruption in, in business. We've been on calls. I know, um, you know, many businesses have been affected and many in different ways. Some have spiked, some have disappeared. Um, you know, what are you seeing Um kind of broadly in terms of what's happening um, you know on the, in the business sector you know the, the good the bad and, and how it's affected it Ergon and, and the work you're doing what business are now asking for you know during 2020 with everything that's going on okay i think
1: really it's going in phases as we know um and i think the first phase that we saw was um was was either pause depending on you know the clients we work with some some were pause so everything stopped and certainly as far as sort of various manufacturing goods and the fashion sector and we've all seen you know what's happening in bangladesh with sort of closure or or non-payment of bills to factories um But also with a number of the development finance organisations we work with, and this includes, for example, um, the International Finance Corporation, which is the private sector lender of the World Bank, uh, Commonwealth Development Corporation, or CDC, which is the UK's development bank. We've been working a lot with them to provide some short-term and fast imports so they've been kind of shoveling money out of the door and the interesting thing that we've seen in the space we work in is the priority of protecting jobs and in the short term there was a lot of work and we spent um you know a, a lot of work both um finding out how you can protect jobs either temporarily and sometimes that can be done quite straightforwardly so for example in india We saw with a number of private sector companies they would they would realise that just by paying a basic food allowance to workers over two months during lockdown was sufficient to keep their heads above the water and keep loyalty from those workers. So that was one point. Another point that we saw was as far as safety, and I think there's this is still ongoing work is that how do you actually get your business? back operating safely uh in terms of both safety for your staff safety for communities and safety for your customers and as, as we all know there's some pretty clear and basic guidance from who that are being followed in some places and i think asia it's followed more than it is that we're seeing in europe and to a certain extent latin america and definitely in the united states
0: have you seen what you know are you finding that businesses were at all prepared based on previous experiences that are in any way similar uh, you know just having the right kind of safety policies or you know on that second point i mean or has it just been you know something that no one was ever really had ever really dealt with and now in the future when it happens they will be
1: i think there's quite a few businesses we worked with that have good contingency planning and safety planning have been able to pivot quite quickly mm. you know and safety professionals say well this is you know this is Technically, relatively straightforward, um, and we've heard that quite a few times. It's not—it's not difficult, and certainly, for example, you know, we were we were looking at one sort of transport platform operator, and they were saying, well, you know, if you're if you're running if you're running cars, basically, or delivery bikes, there are things you can do. You can put in screens. You can enforce mask. You can enforce cleaning. It's the scale, Matt. That's that's the thing that I think has taken everybody by surprise. And also the other thing that I think has taken everyone by surprise is the lockdown and the, the challenges of the lockdown, which say, and we've seen it, for example, um, some work we're doing on gender based violence and harassment at the moment, is the consequences of a lockdown. And we hear quite a lot about sort of rise in gender based violence from uh, domestic context during lockdown, uh, which is sadly predictable. Um, But also we're hearing quite a lot of, you know, concerns from businesses about their, um, their sort of female staff is, you know, suddenly you create areas of invisibility or areas where people are on their own or people, you know, there's not people around that can be traveling to work or it can be in a work environment where there's an enhanced risk of gender based violence. Uh, which we weren't seeing before, even in areas where you know there's significant sort of um expectations around that issue, so it, it throws up all sorts of new challenges. I think, like I said, it's the the scale but also the lockdown are the two things rather than if you like you know the 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 sort of the medical elements of this itself,
0: yeah. Where is that? I mean, that balance is. Probably- and I don't expect you to have the answer to this necessarily It's a question, but you know, this balance of the lockdown versus the risks of the pandemic. So, you know, with the lockdown comes a whole host of other issues, right? And yeah. you just highlighted some of them and there are a lot more, obviously the economics, which, I mean, there's plenty of data to show, um, you know, when you hit a, a recession that we potentially will have because of this, there are all sorts of other issues that lead to loss of life. But what do you think that balance is? and? You know, sorry, what, what do you think the answer to that balance is? I mean, do you, everyone's dealing with it differently. Is there an
1: answer or is it just we learn as we go? I think we learn as we go. And look, you know, I'm no expert on this, but, you know, still prepared to speak. Um, but I think we're inevitably going to see, you know, localised responses going forward because I'm sure that, I don't know that people would admit this publicly, but he, I'm sure people would prefer, in hindsight, of not to done the have done the severity of the lockdown. You know, if you look at um, the consequences, are huge. But uh, you know, everybody panicked, and and it was such a you know, it's not it's not a once in a generation sort of um, instance. It's bigger than that. I think we'll look back in a historical sense. You know, it's a multi generation sort of incident, and people panicked and thought you know. I've no idea how hard this is going to hit. And we looked at a small number of towns in northern Italy and extrapolated that to the whole world. Now, you know, you look at sort of Europe had one particular lockdown and there will be consequences, inevitably economic consequences from that. I'm not saying it was the wrong thing to do, but I think going forward people do it differently. Or if you look at India and you look at the way that Modi did his lockdown, which was entirely predictable, was very, very hard and very extreme, but apparently it seems to have had no significant dint or impact on the rising curve and that's to do with you know large numbers of people you know living in constrained living conditions in poverty now, if you lock down sort of richer communities where everyone can stay at home, albeit it's not great for lots of people, but they can stay at home, you can't do that if you're in a slum in Mumbai. So even though you lock down off the street, if you're forcing migrant workers to walk, you know, you saw people walking days and days to get back to their villages and still live in multiple, um, you know, occupancy sort of um, houses and, and accommodation. So it's a real challenge. And, you know, without a vaccine there's no easy way you know out of this it's going to have to be managed very very carefully and and i think i absolutely agree with you you know that the social economic and mental health implications of of, a recession from continued lockdown are really quite significant
0: yeah and on i'm funny actually that i mean thailand is is I, i don't know what they are what the The reasons are, but Thailand certainly seems to be a model. There was an article in the New York Times just a couple of weeks ago, really asking more questions and giving answers as to the success of, you know, what we've seen here, 58, I think 58 cases since the beginning. And, you know, there's been ultra kind of paranoia, but I'm certainly kind of thankful for it in in one way or another because, um, you know, we're all safe, safe and sound here. But yeah, certainly doesn't seem to be, there's not a straight answer it's different certainly seems to differ by country and the data at this stage on the data front do you think it's just i mean data we're in the business of data it's very hard to analyze data in real time unless you're analyzing something that's been looked at before you know in a few years do you think we'll be able to look back and then have much better models for what's happened and and productivity about you know what we can do next time
1: Possibly, but I mean, we're all counting different things as well. You know, if you look at, you know, on, on sort of um, on deaths, people are counting different deaths on different days. And, you know, mm-hmm. some deaths are being categorised as COVID-19, some aren't. Um, you know, the in Northern Europe and, and you know, and here in the UK, obviously, the really significant, you know, impact on to, you know, the over 70s and over 80s and people with comorbidities is... is is really striking. And I think there, are, there will be questions to be asked um, as far as how, to the extent that we could have just shielded care homes and, and older people quicker. But even then, you know, again, this is not my expertise, but, you know, if you're counting deaths among you know, people who, to be blunt, are closer to death than others. Um, You know, you you make decisions and you've had doctors who've been signing off on death certificates at a rate in some places that they just don't normally do, and they've been doing it remotely as well. So the overall stats we will see, you know, we all know it's it's bigger. We all know it is quite striking. We all know it is, in many ways, countries which have, you know, higher sort of, um, you know, better economic performance and better healthcare in theory that seem to be performing not so well leave the us aside you know i think the us has, has got a very large pocket of very poor people with no no healthcare which will account for a lot of this but again we can talk a lot about this but it's um it's super challenging but like i say i think the thing for us from some of our clients the ones who have kept their businesses open or have kept sort of their staff on board and just taking through to a lesson is that something we've looked at to try and sort of support our policy advice to, you know, to people um, like IFC and others was to look at look at some work that we did um, coming out of the financial crisis, the last financial crisis, um, to see who performed well as far as bounce back, as far as employment quality and numbers of jobs. And they, uh, Germany performed very well. And there was a no, number of other countries that performed well. And one of the reasons I think everyone kind of accepts they performed well is they just didn't let people go. So em- employers were subsidised or allowed to drop people onto partial wages, but, but they didn't fire people. And I think one of the striking things we've seen in the first wave of, um, of COVID, and I'm talking about the economic wave rather than the sort of the infection wave we'll see about that is that in lots of countries we've seen government support and businesses saying okay we're not going to have massive job losses us again is slightly different the figures there are are, are quite striking but across europe parts of Latin america and asia as well you've seen that people have, have sort of shown some loyalty to their staff and that means that if things pick up again you know staff are more likely to go back and staff feel confident and haven't fallen significantly into debt so i think one hopes that that's a positive element but it really depends on how quickly the economy can get running again and i think that's down to the infection rates and it's down to a whole range of other things
0: yeah we had um uh, we've got a client here in this part of the world that's a big major logistics company actually i'm speaking to them like a few months ago at uh, the hr director for apac you know her biggest challenge was to do exactly that to hold they didn't want to let anyone go but they had to send everyone home there was no work for a while uh, logistics you know i don't think typically it's been hit hard because actually there's been you know online ordering but certain areas they went were, were in were but are you seeing companies i mean linkedin i just saw let people go but he you, you're typically seeing companies that are doing the the making the best choices are just trying to kind of hold on to people till this kind of passes and and gets back to some sort of normal
1: yeah i think so i mean the uk obviously a number of other economies have had various forms of furlough schemes which is a word we didn't use until about six months ago or four months ago um so you've had state support i think where you've had state support to allow you to keep employing people and that can either be through tax credits or can be through Direct covering of wages—that's that's straightforward enough, really, and it and it's a bit of a no-brainer. Um, uh, I think the challenge will be going forward in some sectors, and it is all sector determinant. So, um, my guess is—I don't know reasons for LinkedIn, but um, you know where you rely on advertising, you're going to have a challenge. But that was the same as you know any other financial crisis. You know those businesses that rely on advertising; uh, advertising drops off. But also behaviors change, so I think we'll see retail changing. Um, so we, again, we see sort of you know as far as retail sort of locations, number of jobs drop off. Whereas online delivery that that will increase. Yeah, you know? and obviously the hospitality sector is um, just in a you know an enormous mess. And certainly, I mean, some of our clients are in the hospitality sector, and they've just you know hotels have essentially stopped functioning for yeah. months and months and you know you've got costs ongoing and you you can't keep staff on in those circumstances the other side is that i think as far as um you know as far as as far as food and agribusiness is concerned obviously you know the demand continues um and the challenges there are elsewhere i think as far as what we'll see happening next we um you know something
0: that's come out of this the whole remote the, the whole remote working workforce situation have you been have you had to deal with any kind of a consulting advice on that front or it's just something you're dealing with in, in day-to-day work
1: no no I, th- I think you know um I think those it, again you can kind of overstate it because I think there are you know there's lots of lots of people who can remote um work remotely talk a lot about working remotely because that that's the people who have a voice, you know, they're journalists, they're consultants, they're, they're posting on, you know, they're, they're the people who post on LinkedIn, etc. You know, if you're if you're driving a bus or you're working in a food factory or if you're working in a hospital, you don't do remote working. And certainly the stats are, um, you know, even in developed economies are heavily towards, you know, people work in real places. Mm. Interesting. I didn't know that. You know, because if you think about all the jobs that are done, you know, whether it's you know painting a house, teaching kids, because again, you know, education so far hasn't you know has been kind of semi remote. Yeah. But um, you know, we'll see. I think we'll see a big change in education sector, so that will impact there. But if you look at the the things that employ large numbers of people, you know, it's hospitals, it's service sector, it's transport, it's manufacturing. You know, it's agribusiness, you know, it's retail, all of which, you know, you can't do them remotely. Anything where you've got to touch a thing, yeah. I'm probably somewhat blinkered by the
0: fact I'm in the tech world and and I'm online all the time and I always was remote and you just see see a raft of companies actually like that that weren't remote that now are and probably will remain that way because frankly, it's going to save them a shed load of money and, you know, employees are generally happier spending, you know, a little bit more you know time at home but yeah you're, you're exactly exactly. Right.
1: exactly but you'll see you know i think all of those sectors that moved to remote as you say could have done that anyway and i think the fact that um it has been so apparently seamless and uh what people say is, is there's some arguments on this around the edges but you know you know sort of no drop off in productivity if not an increase tend to suggest that all of the tech was already there which it was now I'll give you a very sort of quick example is um, and this is sort of uh, this is just second hand and third hand sort of comment that's been made to me. Is that as far as, you know, cities like London, New York, Paris, which all the financial institutions um, and the big banks had set up contingency working in the face of of 9-11. So they're saying what happens if there is a significant terrorist or other catastrophic physical sort of incident in relation to financial centres. So there's all sorts of, for example, in London, there's all sorts of, you know, out of London, large sheds um, with computers in them and desks that have been sitting empty for a decade and a half in case this thing happens, yeah, where you could suddenly move everybody uh, because because you're, you know, there's a bomb in your bank or there's been some incident, yeah? Now, of course, all of those are, are empty and the office buildings are empty as well. So I think our contingency plan previously was like, well, we move some people somewhere else and now you realize you move them to home. And the fact that, you know, people like traders, which were always on the assumption that you can't trade from home because one is that you need regulatory oversight uh, and two is, so that that was one reason. The other one was you need such fast internet connection to be able to do, um, you know, microsecond trades because the trade has to be executed immediately. Yeah, yeah right. Now, all those again, I'm not an expert on trading floors, but it seems to be that all of the markets are still working. So that point that said that, you know, that, uh, you know, trading floor couldn't be anywhere else, but, you know, in London, Frankfurt, Wall Street, um, has gone. So I think there are those sectors which and and it isn't like there's suddenly been this massive investment that's allowed them to step over it, which was always the argument previously. We can't do it without the infrastructure investment. So I think there are some sectors that have gone and they will stay there. But like I said, let's not let's not underestimate that sort of there's lots of jobs and that's the jobs where people are low paid. This is where people, you know, have significant challenges, you know, day to day and will really continue to do that. They're not you know they're not working at home and they're not going to be working at home and i think there is a real danger as well that was already accelerating that we'll see emergencies all over the world of you know if you like you know a tech rich bubble which is secure and lives wherever they want to live lives absolutely where you know you're lucky you're living in thailand yeah but you know lives wherever they want to live and then you know people who serve that that sort of tech rich bubble and they can be either direct people who are serving them in transport in terms of you know domestic in terms of you know hospitality or they can be at the other end of a global supply chain i think uh
0: one thing's definite zoom is now a household name anyway that's for sure like i think yeah. people you know i knew zoom obviously i was using it but it, you know everyone now knows zoom so that's some some major shift um You know, something else actually that's interesting, you know, from a media point of view, I think the world was, um, the media tends to become obsessed with what's going on. I mean, that's what the media is often there for. And things like Brexit, which were people were almost kind of, I certainly not living in the UK for 25 years was almost tiring by the, by the media, you know, arguments over it and stuff. But it now seems to have, been you know put into the background although there's there's all this stuff happening Uh, i just wanted to you know you're in the 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 job of understanding supply chains for for companies and what is the and again it's quite a broad question but you know this this journey with brexit where it's heading you know the new relationship with the eu um the the disruption to businesses for supply chains is this stuff you're dealing with is it you know what what are some of the pitfalls and challenges of the next kind of i would imagine five to ten years not not six to 12
1: months uh. no i i think this the six to 12 months are going to be really quite significant to start with partly because i think one impact of covid um is that there are for policymakers you know both in uk government and within european commission european union are are significantly elsewhere but also nothing is fixed you know and I you know plague on both houses to a certain extent on this but particularly UK government have been walking into this kind of blind you know Brussels have been warning them you can't just walk into a no deal Brexit and and we are which also means there are there are tiny things right even to the extent of um we had to take some advice on this recently is no one has any idea on what sales taxes will be on the 1st of January
0: wow you know
1: if you if you think no because there's no deal right you know and you could probably spend five years negotiating you know um, categories of sales tax across different products um you know nobody has any idea on on transport nobody on has any idea on you know animal welfare standards now because we've been in a transition so we've already done this well just keep it as it is while you sort it out now there's two options here either um you just carry on keeping it as it is while you sort it out, or or you drop off the edge of a cliff and you drop down to where, you know, between you know France and the UK or Netherlands and the UK, you know, on those sort of you know regular, sure there's a bit of sea but not much, um, you know, regular borders, there it there is basically the highest level of border control. Now the weird thing, of course, couldn't predict this six months ago, is that, um we kind of given up on borders in the UK and uh, in, in Europe rather. And so this was going to be a reimposition of something we have given up on, but because of COVID borders have become very real again and checks on borders. So nobody knows how this is going to go. As far as supply chains are concerned though, and just talking about the, um, the UK, we can look at issues around EU supply chains, but probably for food, um the biggest issue is going to be the uk's own supply chain so you know the 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 biggest sort of um you know sourcing country for uk food in supermarkets is is the uk by a long way yeah Yeah. It's, it's one of those myths that all food is imported. it's not you know the vast bulk of it is um produced here as in any country and of course the big challenge is um is who's going to pick the food, who's going to process the food, which for the last decade and a half has been really sort of dominated by migrant labour from vast majority of the migrant labour is from, from the EU a large number of people have already gone home and if they haven't you know if they didn't go home they're going home now partly because um of economics. Some people will stay, inevitably, um and um either comfortably or not comfortably, but there will not be that new nobody knows where that new labour force is coming from. And COVID just compounds that. Because, you know, we've seen things like even at the pretty height of the lockdown, there were agreements to Uh, fly-in direct, and this happened in Germany as well, so it's not just UK, fly-in migrant workers direct on charter flights and take them straight to farms. Now, you know, as far as the tensions that stokes, uh, if that's not managed well, is enormous. You know, can you imagine anywhere in the world in a COVID context, let alone a COVID Brexit context, where you say suddenly you are flying in 300 people that will go to one place. And now, particularly as we've seen compounded with all over the world we've seen in food processing outbreaks of COVID. People work very close together. Redesigning the line is possible, but not unless you invest some money. So people yep. are close and we're getting seeing massive outbreaks. There's real challenges on managing this, but I think if you speak to companies in the food sector, they're just worried that and it's happening now, they just haven't got people to pick and process the crop. So I mean, you'd, that, like,
0: you'd like to think it's a great opportunity for job creation in such a disruptive time and job loss, but I'm, yeah, I imagine I massively simplify, simplify the problem, obviously. You would, but,
1: but then, then, then comes the challenge of um, the perceived attractiveness to, um, to UK labour of, of going and doing, you know, essentially, you know, live, living on a farm or driving to a farm, and and picking for 10 hours a day which if you're a migrant worker and you're doing it for three months you know you suck it up you take the money i mean that's that's the reality that, and then there's all sorts of challenges obviously in this sector and other sectors as far as enforcement of basic labor standards because you don't want people doing these jobs if they're being exploited i mean i'm not saying that they're paid vast amounts of money but yeah, there are certain basic minimum elements of dignity and we'd made quite a lot of progress but we're seeing that just dripping away now there's a whole issue in leicester in the uk as far as um fast fashion is concerned um and there's an element of surprise in the media that oh there is fast fashion and there is goods being produced in the uk i thought they were all in bangladesh etc everybody knew or everybody that in the know knew and there was all sorts of programs being run to actually try and address that issue but again covid has brought it with the Brexit in the background, much more into focus. So the positive side for me for this is, is that we're talking about people and we're talking about people in supply chains um, uh, rather than just ignoring them and just assuming that, you know, nobody was asking the question, what, why can we get this food and goods cheaper and cheaper and cheaper? Something has to give for that to happen. Yeah. And that will actually labour costs a lot of the time.
0: Yeah, it's, I think you're going to. I mean, one thing's for sure, you're going to have a lot of work to do next year. I mean, there's going to be a, a lot of you know reassessment of of these situations and and how you deal with it, and you know the the new workforces, whatever they end up being, whether it is you know overseas workers or whatever. So certainly an interesting time.
1: And also, there's an element on this always is uh, well, not always, but um, you know if. If we, as, you know, say, UK society or whatever society, um, you know, want better, um, you know, sustainability outcomes or want, you know, workers not to be exploited down our supply chain, or, or we don't want plastic in the oceans, doesn't matter what it is, right? Ultimately, we have to pay something more for the product because you know the market still has to take its cut people you know you know companies aren't going to do this for free and just see a reducing margin in order to deal with these Mm standards either we've got to have you know for plastics and things there's ways we can innovate yeah and there's things we can do and new products but as far as the basic labor costs you know if you're going to say you want people picking the tea that you drink um you know in assam in india to be paid a, a, a minimum that then you're going to have to pay a bit more for the product and that's going to be the real challenge as we move into, you know, financial downturns again, is there's going to be squeezes back again on pricing. It's, um, you know, it, it's a perfect storm, but the perfect storm, I think, can go either way in this one or it can go all ways at once. Interesting times
0: ahead. Um, on maybe a lighter note, you know, I know you're a, you're a guy with podcasting background and experience and, you know, you've, you've been in the industry some time ago and obviously we're on a podcast now you 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 jump on them you run them um what are you listening to what what kind of podcasts are getting you through this time have you been listening more i've i've certainly become i think more obsessed with podcasts during the the lockdown although work hasn't got any less busy but what's the stuff you're listening to what's the Uh, i
1: think i think the one there's one that uh i consistently listen to i think um which uh, I was listening to before before this time and goes through, and that's called Talking Politics. And, and that's sort of hosted, um, well, it is hosted by David Runtiman, who's a political scientist in Cambridge. Now, that seems very dull, I know. But what they do is that, um, is that essentially, and he'd, he sort of launched this about three years ago, I think, and they realise that there's lots of interesting people um, go through Cambridge and anyone one day not anymore obviously you know they're all sitting at home but they just have great people talking about really interesting things and that can can range from uh it can it can range from sort of you know history through to neuroscience through to music through to all sorts of stuff there's kind of a politics in the middle of that and then what he's also done through um his time is uh he's got anything called the history of ideas so he's taken with various other sort of academic sort of you know great great core books and this can be something like um you know leviathan from thomas hobbes or um you know a whole range thomas Paine through to modern uh sort of political scientists or great books the books that you think oh i should really read that that's really influential and he just spends 40 minutes talking about it and so i think you know that's been uh that's great. I think it's very good. On there is that. Um, my name is George. It's my podcast, which is a a, a BBC podcast, which I think is great. Is about a um, a young black poet. Is well, is is from a young black poet. It is incredible. It, I've never heard anything like it. Just talking about what it's like to be, um, you know, a young black man. In I line, missed,
0: but... I miss the name. What was it? What was the name again?
1: My name I... is George. This is my podcast. I think that's right. Okay, um, double check. On right. I can, I can look it
0: up afterwards in leap notes. But uh,
1: yeah. I, I think that one, that one has been, you know, super interesting for me. I think listening to that, that something, is is kind of half performance art, half podcast in lots of ways i find myself um i used to listen to a lot of football podcasts and i've um, inevitably got a bit bored with those because they just go around in circles and it, perhaps again it reinforces i think there's a certain point i think for me for covid19 it hasn't in some ways created anything new, it's just reinforced existing things. So that was one I realised, well, actually they were probably pretty dull most of the time anyway, but masked by the fact that there was this sheen of there was going to be another game and something was going to happen. And even when football started again, they've sort of lost their sheen a little bit for me, which is which is not a bad thing, I think, really. And, and I think the other side um, is both in podcasts, is there is as far as music is concerned, is that actually... Um, There is an an element of the fact that we'd all got used to, you know, with Spotify or I use Tidal, um, which is a different streaming service. You know, they curate for you and think, oh, this is great. This is curating. The algorithm is curating for me for what I like. But again using this opportunity to listen to 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 radio shows and and podcasts as well where someone else curates for you about what they want to listen to rather than the algorithm trying to double guess what you want to listen to
0: yeah that's always good the day yeah the algorithms can often yeah not can often get it wrong but um the space is interesting how i I was listening to a podcast recently they were just making kind of big ambitious assumptions about where this is all heading i mean it's just the growth has been huge in the last 12 24 months but you know they were talking about the future will be movies will come out of podcasts you know as in the characters and okay. you know in a funny on one side of it you know i grew up my mum listening to the archers i'm sure you know the archers and there's an element to podcasting that like, that is like that it's that connection to the at least certainly in the in the world of a voice but do you you know do you see it just growing or being a trend i mean the trend side of it has has ballooned this year and i think that may be because of lockdown but do you think is it just going to keep growing in this way, this long form that the long form is great. So yeah,
1: it is, but actually the stats are down. So the, the stats aren't up, they're down or certainly the ones that I've saw in the FT recently. Um, and that's partly because people, you know, the massive growth in podcast um, in lots of places was, was on commute either through, yeah. you know, pod, pods in your ear or, or in a car. Uh, and obviously people are not having that time for commute. So I think again, um, I th- I think it grows. I think it, um, you know, lots of people get their, their views and news from podcasts. I think um, the long form, I agree with you, is absolutely great. There's something also that I've been, I got an early sort of founding subscription to Tortoise, which is um, a UK media company. Um, which is all about long form journalism, and what they've done—they're an interesting model. So they, 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 you know, they they publish just to an app and and a website. Um, you know, there's no paper, you know, and there never will be again for a startup like that. But the what they also do is they have podcasts, but they also have think-ins, which they were doing face to face. So you can you can go to their newsroom and you can you can sit in either virtually at the moment or, um, you know, in person once it restarts again and listen to them discuss what they think the news is and what they think is important or not. So I think for me, the concept of curated content, which podcasts, you know, fall within to a certain extent, you know, um, is and being challenged. That's the useful thing about them. Although, on the other hand, we can still fall into echo chamber. So you can say you just listen to the people that you want to listen to. But, that you know, that that's fine and good. You know, it was no different to shock jock, you know, sort of radio. But I think the key thing it's done is that it gives you something that has that depth of thought of reading a long article. And, you know, that kind of element of, of quality radio and, you know, the ones you know, that I listen to, you know, I listen to the BBC and I listen to NPR and I listen to... Um, Uh, sort of Radio Nacional de España as well um, which has long form sort of documentaries is that's there you know and and, and that is sort of built upon um, and sort of the element of sort of the the noise of talk radio again which personally you know in the kitchen I always used to have Radio 5 on when I was cooking um, which you know is is just a it's a news and sports and constant turnover radio and there's some great people on it but now i just put on podcasts you know and if i'm cooking yeah, for listening to a long podcast and there was um there's also another one i was listening to recently which was um which was just another history and I, i'm not i've never been a huge history pa- fan but you know it works with podcasts in a way that i don't think it does elsewhere for me personally
0: yeah, it's um, just to clarify my, clarify my stat because I know I know you're right. I think my what I was meaning to allude to was the number of people now starting podcasts, yeah. but also the Very counter cool. that. Well, the counterstat stat to that is is the number of people that drop off. I think the I think it's like, maybe not even 180 days. It's maybe 120 days. It's like 80 percent drop off so because they realize there's a lot of work involved <laughs> like with anything i think people don't realize you actually got to put some work in and it's not quite as easy as just buying a little mic and, and getting on with it so yeah
1: or, or doing a, a you know a, a 30 second sort of um sort of quick quick burst on tiktok or on instagram as well well,
0: well that's but, the that's the great thing about it because at least it combats that short form which is everywhere right i mean for me i i I try and get a lot of my news out of listening to the right people now because the traditional media seems to become so polarized, especially in the US. I mean, it's just it was was politically driven in a way, but now more than ever, it's 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 kind of crazy. So, yeah, you're think-
1: going to trust, like I said, you're going to trust your 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 content curators on there, and I, I think the other one, without going too much depth as well, is that. You know, it's fine, you know, us two middle aged men, um, white men having this conversation. But I think it's seeing what it comes from, you know, young people, you know, of huge, diverse backgrounds as they're using, you know, they're using sort of they're using YouTube, basically. And they're using Instagram um, of ways to do short forms or even in YouTube's quite long forms um, of, of things which essentially, you know, are based on audio. You know they're not based on. Um, it, it, sure, if you're looking at you know some of the gamers who obviously just have a prolific in in the amount of content that they're putting onto YouTube every day and very financially successful as well, is that you know the the game is and watching them play play the game and and I you know I speak to my daughter and I say can you really sit and watch someone play a game on YouTube? Yeah, yeah of course. And there's a lot of that going on, but a big. The success are the people who talk well, who are funny, engaging, and have something to say. It's not the people who are better at the game necessarily. So I think that's an element, you know, where you, we're sort of retort, returning to the spoken word in a way that we weren't ten years ago.
0: Interesting. Yeah, I haven't. I know the whole gaming. I know that whole that whole gaming phenomenon, but I've also not really understood it because I'm not a gamer and don't have anyone involved. So it's certainly an interesting space. And yeah, people are earning fortunes through it as well, which is also fascinating by being watched playing games. So.
1: Or, or putting on makeup, being watched putting on makeup.
0: Well, here the big one's food, right? So my, my girlfriend watches food ones all the time. Like I mean, it's huge. Like Watching other people eat is... You know it, it's clearly yeah i'm just maybe i'm too old like you say <laughs> it's
1: the, it's the thing, thing. Is, it, it's not you know it's not just about you know oh that's because if you've got some you know you've got someone just making a recipe and eating it, it's about what they say how they say it, okay. how engaging they are and, and how human they are as well and i think that's that's something strange about sort of the if you like the the you know disaggregated voice is it's still very human you know, and, and a time probably, you know, post-COVID, we, we need, you know, we need to feel like there are other human beings there. And just hearing a voice talking is is far more human than reading something online.
0: Very true. All are pretty much coming to the end, but I have one more question that's back on the the. The, the main bulk of what we were chatting about just an advice question really you know you're obviously you're in that you're you're in there talking to businesses you run you're running your own business successfully for a you know a good period of time you've gone through this disruption probably with your own challenges you know what advice would you give to to people in business whether it's you know whether it's working for someone that's leading a business in terms of the best way to transition this you know, into what will be, I suppose, the new norm coming into now. I think probably beginning of 2021.
1: So, I'm loath to give advice to other people, but it's um, but I will. Um, I think again, it, it's it's really nothing new for COVID, but it brings it home. I think focus on focus on what you do and what you do well, and do that. Yeah, but more, I think probably personally as well for for sort of you know, business owners, and but no, not just business, anyone. Focus on, on what you feel like you want to do and you're, you know, you're making an impact, whatever that impact is you want to make. You know, some people are in it for the money, some people are in it for other things, but, you know, do something that you actually enjoy because all of us are, even if we're sitting in front of a screen, you know, we spend a lot of time working. And I think this is particularly here in questioning, everyone will say, well, why did I do that? You know, I think there's already people saying, well, why, why did I get on a train for three hours a day, you know, for 10 years to do that? I think do something you want to do and do something that I think you do well, because that's when you'll enjoy it. And that's when you'll, you'll make some change and have an impact, whatever impact you want to have.
0: Cool, good advice, Steve. So, I mean, that's pretty much it. Unless you had anything else you wanted to to add or any questions I didn't ask you'd like to chip in on, sir.
1: Nope, that's fine as long as that's enough for you, I think. Yeah, great.
0: Appreciate you um yeah, giving giving some time out of your day and best of luck. Hope family and business and everything else as well and we'll, yeah, we'll catch up again soon.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Take care. See you later. Cheers. Bye. Bye.
0: This is a podcast from Task. Task helps you create and measure impact. For more information, please visit task.io.